This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at reactroundup.com slash kendoui. Hello and welcome to React Roundup. I'm your host, Nader Dabit. Today on our panel, we have Sia Karamolagos. Hello. And our special guests today are the RxJS This.media group of people. If you don't already know them, I'll go ahead and introduce them one by one. It's Ben Lesh, Jay Phelps, and Tracy Lee, otherwise known as Lady Lee on Twitter. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having hey. us. Hey, everyone. Well, thanks for coming on. This is pretty cool. Like three of the people that I've followed on social media and like, you know, always wanted to meet. I, I met Tracy a few <laughs> weeks ago, actually. So now I'm meeting the other two. So this is really cool to kind of have you all on. Yeah, thanks um, for having us. Yeah, totally. It's a pleasure. Um, I guess to kind of get started, for people that like don't already know you all, I know it's kind of hard to go in, into depth with three different people, but maybe kind of give a quick overview of why you all kind of like are working together and what you're working on, and then maybe an introduction into the uh, the subject, which is reactive programming or RxJS. Sure. I, I can start. Um, this is Jay Phelps. Um, I Who I am, I... Uh, currently, actually, doing a startup with with Tracy, and um, we're called This Doc, and we do things like support contracts for RxJS. Uh, we do staff augmentation. We do developer relations. Basically, anything in the developer community. We also put on uh, events. We do podcasts similar to this as well, and uh, conferences and stuff like that. Uh, previously, before that, though, just a couple months ago, I worked at Netflix, which is actually where I met Ben, um, who's on this podcast as well. We we're coworkers together. And uh, at Netflix is where I got introduced to RxJS and where Ben and I came up with Redux Observable um, in one of the apps that we were both maintaining and working on. Um, so that's the, I mean, that's the quick gist. Before before Netflix, I worked at, I was a CTO of a company called PivotShare. And then before that, I worked at another company called SignNow. Oh, okay. Cool. So, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So my name is Tracy. Also known as Lady Leet. Thanks for the introduction. Um, I co-founder of this dot with uh, Jay and Ben's also co-founder. Um, even though he doesn't get to play with us as much because he works at Google, Google Developer Expert for Angular um, and uh, the web. And then I'm on the ArcGIS core team, and I help lead the learning team as well. And I love JavaScript. So I guess that's it. Oh, how did we meet? So my story of how we met was. There was this random dude, Jay, which was fine. And then there was this guy, Ben, who came to heckle at the first modern web meetup that Jay spoke <laughs> at. And he stood, he sat in the back and he had a lot to say. And then uh, my co-organizer at that time was like, whoa, Ben Lash, so cool. I was like, why does this guy matter? What is this RxJS thing? Who cares? Um, but anyways, apparently I was supposed to care. So then we started all hanging out. Uh, Jay and Ben used to stand in my kitchen during potlucks and eat. Uh, <laughs> that's what we're known for. That's what you guys used to do. You, both that's of you guys true. would just like stand in the kitchen for some reason. We like and, the uh, yeah, we yeah. eat the ice cream that tasted like pool toys. That was yes. really good. Was yeah, good. what was that ice cream? It was uh, a saffron. Yeah. Yeah. saffron ice cream tastes like blow up pool toys for all of you guys who didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Weird, right? But yeah, Tracy and I actually met at Embercoff. 
Oh, um, that's right. You remember that, Tracy. Yeah. That's true. Um, ben, what about you? Oh, uh, let's see. Well, I am the, I'm most known for being the, the project lead on RxJS uh, currently. Uh, I work on the Angular team at Google. <laughs> so that's, that's relatively new. I've been on the Angular team now for a couple months. Um, but I've, been, I've known those folks for a, a while and, and been working with them for a while uh, because RxJS is their only dependency. So there's that. Uh, I was previously at Netflix for about three years, and I've been at Google for a little over a year now. Um, that's pretty much it. I can't think of anything else. Worked with, uh, obviously, Jay went over our history together. We, we work together. We hang out together. He comes over and has waffles at my house sometimes. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, Tracy and I are, are glued at the hip at various conferences. So there's that. Yeah, I see you two kind of uh, hanging out quite a bit on social media for sure. Um, are you all kind of like located near each other? Or? We used to be. No, we used to be. <laughs> yeah. We used to all live in the Bay Area. Um, but unfortunately, I'm, I'm the last Mohican. <laughs> yeah. The person left. Yeah, I I, uh, I moved to Tennessee just a couple months back. Actually, when I ne- when I left Netflix, I moved to Tennessee to save money and have a change of pace. So I was in California for ten years, and uh, but I was born and raised in Nebraska. So just looking for a different scenery while I did the startup thing with Tracy. Well, that's cool. Me and Sia are also in the southeast. I'm in Mississippi. Sia is in Louisiana. Yeah. So, and I'm in North Carolina. Hi, neighbors. Oh, there we go. Hi. Way to go south. <laughs> All right. Uh, so how are you liking Tennessee, just out of curiosity? Uh, since I've only been here a couple months, and, and, and of that, I've actually been out of town a lot of it. Uh, I don't actually totally know, but so far, I like it. Uh, it's definitely more similar to Nebraska than, than California, uh, <laughs> just in general. And, and it's, a ni- it's a nice change of pace. Things are a lot slower. People are more friendly. Um, Traffic is not nearly as bad, and uh, things are cheaper. So so far, so far, it's living up to the expectations. I was hoping for it, and and we'll see. Awesome. So um, I'm wondering, like, for those of our listeners that maybe don't know what an observable is yet, do you want to give like a brief intro of like what is an observable and like what problems are observables trying to solve? Can I give the pitchy? Can I give the pitchy? Uh, yeah. the pitchy? I was just for it. Yeah, so the pitch is that if you're just learning JavaScript or you're having trouble with promises, you shouldn't learn promises. You should just learn observables. Did you like that? Did you like wow, that? That's, <laughs> that's a hard sell. That's a good one. That's a hard <laughs> but they're just, you know, observables are just functions in JavaScript, right? They don't do anything unless you uh, subscribe to them or, you know, just like, just like functions in JavaScript. They don't do anything unless you call them. And uh, Ben has been actually working really hard, and I'll let uh, Ben and Jake give like a more deep technical, you know, explanation. But Ben's been working really hard on like making everything functional in the library. I think, right? Like everything's just functions or higher order functions. Uh, yeah, yeah. So a lot of the operators are. So the an, another like Tracy's exactly right, but I don't know about just learn observables and don't learn promises. I, I think there's a lot of people. <laughs> that would, that would, I like it though. Yeah, just keep going with that. Um, but uh, the like observables are a means of kind of encapsulating uh, any number of values uh, th- that you want pushed at you um, later on. So what it, what an observable actually gives you is like a set of events. And when you have sets of things, there's different operations you can do. Like you can combine them, you can filter them or query query them, you can transform them into a different set. 
Uh, so it's just a way to get like a set of events. And the implementation of it is it's basically just a function that uh, when you call it, you pass this observer to, and the observer's got a next method, an error method, and a complete method on it. And the next method is the one that most people care about. It's the one where you get events or basically values pushed at you. So you can wrap an array in an observable. You can wrap uh, button clicks in an observable. You can wrap just about anything in an observable. And then everything kind of becomes the same shape. And you can use the ability to kind of query and combine and filter and whatever to do some pretty interesting things with it. So it's a very powerful tool. Um, the, uh, the downside to it is I, I think that a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their head around it because it is, it is, uh, it's got its own kind of vernacular to it, uh, with all of these operators, uh, and operators would be things like filter and map and merge map and these things. Um, so there's a little bit of a learning curve, but once you get to that point, you can do some really amazing things and with very little code. Uh, and that's the, that's the big advantage of, of, uh, observables. And uh, Ben, like, uh, well, I just want to add actually to Ben usually says the the phrase that it's like uh, Lodash for async. So it's like a, a utility library for doing your async stuff, which I think is is helpful for a lot of people when they're first starting off. But it's not entirely accurate just because it's not all about async. Uh, most people are going to be using observables for async things because that's that's why it's particularly useful, but it can, it's, it's actually a synchronous primitive by default, unless you're doing something inherently async with it, like making an Ajax request or getting values through a WebSocket. Um, and then those are things that are, are the most common use cases for people getting started with observables is they, they want a primitive that they can make an Ajax request that's cancelable and um, then do things like easy, do easy things like debouncing and uh, throttling and all those type of things. Those things are all really easy to do in RxJS, but might be a little harder to do um, yeah, than more traditional procedural way. So, can um, promises and async await can they kind of be mixed with um, observables, or is it kind of like a all or nothing buy-in? Yeah, you can you can one hundred percent mix them mix them together. Um, so promises and async await is a way to do like serialized asynchronous actions in like one what looks like one function. It actually executes almost as though there are several different functions, but um, it allows you to you know run code to a certain point and then wait for something to happen, and then run code to a next point and wait for something to happen. Um, you can, and then it of course returns a promise. You can actually wrap that in an observable with uh, there's a there's a function in RxJS called defer. So you can say defer and then pass to it an async uh, function, and it will return to you an observable that when you subscribe to it, runs the async function. So that's one way, uh, one direction. And then the other direction, you can take an observable, and there's a couple methods on observable that uh, allow you to subscribe to it in such a way that it returns a promise so you can await it. Uh, one is for each, and for each uh, is exactly what it sounds like. It's just like the one you'd see on an array, where every time a value is, is emitted, uh, there's a handler that gets called. And when it completes, there it's returned a promise that will resolve when it completes. So then you basically await, you know, the completion of an observable, and then you can continue on in your async await. And the other one is just to promise, which is just give me the last value from the observable, and whenever the observable completes, uh, resolve with that. And so that's another way to you can await um, a value coming from an observable. I think the other thing I really like about just RxJS in general is because it's a language that sits on top of JavaScript, it allows uh, me to play in all the different frameworks and libraries and just copy paste most of my code. So 
I always like to see how easy it is for me to write something, let's say in view, and then uh, cop- how much of it can I copy and paste into a React app? And the same thing when I'm building a React app, how much of it can I just copy, paste, and dump into an Angular app? And it's like 95%, if not more, which is super, super cool. Yeah, if you if you decide you want to go down that route, that's kind of... ArcGIS, one of the beauties of it is that it can be used just as a simple async primitive for making AJAX requests, and that's all you use it for, and that's super useful. Or you could go all in and use it to implement all of your business logic. Um, there's, you know, I know lots of people that do both, you know, that just use it as a simple primitive and others that go all in. There's, there's even entire UI like frameworks built around this, like CycleJS, which goes completely all in on ArcGIS. Uh, like what Tracy is mentioning, there's, there's things like on the Angular side, there's um, things, something like NGRX um, and NGRX effects where you will um, use RxJS to write a large majority of your business logic. And there's an equivalent thing um, that's framework agnostic called Redux Observable that Ben and I, ben and I made while we were at Netflix that's for handling, doing all your side effects and your business logic inside of Redux, but using uh, observables. And... Uh, so if you do it that way, if you do choose to go down that route, your code is portable because RxJS is not specific to React or Angular or anything like that. It's just generic. And so then your, your, what UI library you end up using just becomes basically a view layer, a stateless view layer. And there's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not all that way. Cause like you wouldn't want to put like, for example, like a drop down menu, you wouldn't want to put that state in like your Redux store or something like that. Yeah, that would be local state. So that's why it's like 90% of your business logic would be in RxJS in that case. And the rest would be in local components and stuff like that. Um, but it definitely can get you a long ways, uh, there to making an app that could be portable between different platforms. You know, the frame, the UI framework of the year, you know, it changes so rapidly sometimes. Some of us are sometimes looking for that way of making something resilient against that change. And ArcGIS can be one of those things. But I think it's just important to continue to stress that you don't have to use, you don't have to go all in on ArcGIS and use it everywhere. Um, we, cut, we sometimes jokingly say Rx all the things as, <laughs> to refer to that, but um, you could just use it as a simple async primitive for Ajax requests, and it, it still has a lot of value. And I was just going to ask, um, so what inspired you to, re- to write Redux Observable? And um, what made you choose Redux over other options like MobX or... Sure. Well, at the time when, when Ben and I were working at Netflix on, on these apps, um, MobX actually wasn't really a thing. It probably existed, but it was not something we had heard of. Um, this is many years back. And... Uh, we were, we had used Redux and we bought into it and we liked, we liked the predictability and the simplicity of it. It does get a little, you know, a lot of boilerplate and you can reduce that by having your own conventions around that. But one of the things we found is that, you know, we had our, our, our logic inside of our React components, but we, you know, we had the, the reducers and then we, we put all of our side effects stuff like Ajax requests and WebSockets in our, our React components. And our stuff just kind of got strewn around and it became harder to test and harder to reason. And we were big RxJS people. So we were trying to figure out a way to bring RxJS into React. And every way we did it worked, but we felt like we were not approaching it with the right 
way because it's like sometimes we'd be using Redux and sometimes when we'd be using this custom RxJS thing inside of inside of React and it felt like we were context switching when we'd like a more consistent way of doing our side effects and we started to think about and, and we looked we looked at the existing prior art and there was Redux Saga which was a huge inspiration for us as well because Redux Observable is very similar to it and in in, uh, in theory and practices there's some major differences but and we liked the idea of thinking about a stream of all of the actions that you could dispatch. Your app dispatches an ac action. You can think of that as a stream, a stream of actions that you dispatch. And you can have these things, which we coined, we call epics, which are very similar to sagas, if you're familiar with Redux Saga, uh, that are basically sitting there while your app is running, listening to that stream of input actions. And then they can respond to an action that they want to. So if they, they filter that stream out and they're looking for a particular action, like fetch user, they can then go and fetch that user. And when that user response comes back, the Epic can then dispatch a new action to notify the store of the result of that side effect. So an Epic think an Epic approaches it as an isolated piece of ArcGIS code that its, its inputs are a stream of actions and its outputs are a stream of new actions. And so that's the way it communicates. And it doesn't have any knowledge of components. Like it knows nothing about React or, and should never know anything about the DOM and stuff like that. Um, instead, it just actions in and actions out. And uh, we think it's a, it's a great way to isolate your, your logic and test it independently and then also have your app be, be uh, you know, fairly maintainable. But, but it, you know, it is, I will stress that going all in on that and using that approach can be difficult for a lot of people, especially if you're if you're not familiar with RxJS. I don't typically recommend people just say, "I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I've never used Redux, I've never used RxJS, I'm just gonna build a brand new app and I'm gonna learn all of those things while I'm doing it." That can be pretty overwhelming. Um, I know people who have done it and they've done it successfully, but I also know more people who have tried it and just been frustrated at the how much they have to learn. You know, learning all the Redux patterns and learning RxJS at the same time can be a lot to take in. So instead, um, you know, I typically recommend if someone's interested in this is, is, uh, try it out on some of the most complex parts of your applications. Like we used it, um, primarily on places where, where our async stuff is particularly complex. Things where we're dealing with WebSockets or needing more complex, uh, uh, things like, uh, exponential back off, which is where like you'll make a request. If it fails, you'll back off, like you'll delay retrying for a certain amount of time. And, and then if it fails, you exponentially back off more and then you back off more, et cetera, et cetera, so that you're not um, spamming the server or you're not um, using undue system resources and stuff like that. Ben, do you have anything to add to that? No, no. Um, I think that, uh, I mean, I think you've, you've pretty much covered the entire thing. And, and uh, for the most part, I mean, what, just to just to add a little bit more clarity at a higher level to it is um, anything where you're synchronously updating state still lives in Redux and anything where you're like, oh, I need to go do some async thing, be it, uh, you know, an HTTP request or get something via WebSockets or, you know, it could even you might even be playing an animation where you actually have some side effects, uh, but you you want to dispatch an action that does something else when you get done to update state. Um, those are those end up being moved to Redux Observable. I think the hard part for people, be it in Redux Observable or in NGRX Effects, which is the equivalent of Redux Observable, is uh, you know people trying to figure out what they should and shouldn't do there. And actually, this is true with Redux in general. Like people figuring out what they should and shouldn't store in state 
And, you know, the, the worst part about it is it's kind of like no 100% right answer. Like a lot of people will be like, well, I need to store errors that happen in my Redux state. And I'm more of the school of, well, no, you could just have a side effect that notifies people that there's been an error because whenever you, you load that app, if you wanted to like rewind time, you don't really care about the error state. You just care about the, the state that's correct, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's, I don't know, there, there's, there's some nuance to it, but I definitely agree with Jay that uh, you would not want to dive into Redux Observable without understanding anything about RxJS. You would probably want to learn some basics like, uh, basic operators, maybe like the the three basic merge strategies, stuff like that, before you proceeded with something like uh, Redux Observable or NGRX effects, depending on where you're working. Yeah, and interesting about the the NGRX effects, like Ben was saying, that's the equivalent of Redux Observable on Angular side, and we actually didn't know that we were inventing the exact same thing at the same time um, for a good year. Uh, we uh, we were, I was introduced to Rob Wormald, who was, who was one of the creators of it. And, you know, we, we discovered, cause this is before it was pretty popular and before Redux Observable was popular as well. And we both discovered that we had came to the same conclusion on the same pattern. Um, ours being more framework agnostic, but theirs being better integrated into, re, into Angular, like their dependency injection stuff that works with and all that. Um, so it's interesting to, it's, it, I guess it, it, it felt great to have some confirmation that other people think that it's a good pattern. And I've actually been surprised at the, the level of adoption of Redux Observable. Companies like Slack, like the Slack desktop app uses it heavily. Um, then there's you know, Nuclide by Facebook, which is like the, uh, it's a build on top of Atom. It's an IDE. Um, so it's, it's, it's been interesting to see the, the different uses of, of Redux Observable. So uh, RxJS has been kind of like part, but it's been added, I guess, to Angular now. It's kind of like part of the framework. Is that right? Um, for people that are like not into Angular, like we're React people that are listening probably, I'm kind of interested to hear like the reasoning behind that and kind of like how it kind of, uh, what problems I guess it solved. And um, are there any um, like similar use cases in, in React or is it more around state management? I mean, this is kind of a completely um, off the wall question, uh, maybe around Angular because I'm not familiar with it. So it's kind of like, just a general, I guess, question around that. So in Angular, RxJS is an actual dependency for Angular, and it gets used for a variety of different things. Um, it's used uh, now heavily in, in some of the new animation stuff they're doing. Uh, it's used for um, form validation. Uh, it's used in the router and in the upcoming router stuff, I think, pretty pretty heavily. Um, so they've, they've really, they've really kind of embraced it. So it gets used for a wide variety of things. I mean, but outside of Angular, um, ArxJS gets used for a lot of, I mean, because if you consider that an observable is a primitive from which you could actually build a promise, like you could build promises, a promise library based off of observables if you wanted to. Um, it's, it's primitive enough that it can be used in pretty much any JavaScript environment. So, um, I've seen it used in node services. Uh, it was used in node services actually at, at Netflix, uh, pretty, pretty frequently. Um, it gets used obviously in the front end. Uh, it gets used on its own with no framework. Um, well, I think it, it's sort of unfortunate that because it, it, you know, because it is such a large dependency to Angular that people sort of assume that like RxJS and Angular are closely tied together. But in reality, um, you know, we see a lot of people using RxJS with React. So there's, I don't know if there's more people, but there's there's a very, very large portion of the React population 
uh, using RxJS and or Redux Observable. Uh, because I think in general, RxJS as its own domain-specific language allows you to maximize reactive programming, right? So a lot of the different paradigms or, you know, it just sort of makes sense to do so and gives you these operators and abstractions to allow you to be able to do so really easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there actually was discussions by the React core team. The React core team, my understanding, the last I've talk to them. They're not huge observable people, but they, they definitely see the merit. And there was actually um, Sebastian Markvich had a proposal, I think it was a year, maybe two years ago, to potentially add like a more native support for observable as part of like a, a life cycle on a component to, to manage your subscriptions. Because that's the awkward thing about it right now is you you have to manage the subscriptions a lot more. And and um, and so there might view actually is a really the, the view library, the actual um, framework called view is a, a really good example of, of something that is very similar to what React was, was considering doing, like a, a lifecycle method that would be called and it would subscribe to any observables that you provided and then it would unsubscribe from them correctly when the component unmounted. And, uh, but, it, but in the end, uh, the React team at this point at least has decided to punt on that problem. They're focusing a little bit more on their, not a little bit more, they're focusing a lot on the, their new suspense and the async rendering and stuff like that. So. Uh, and, and the developer experience in it in components is not awful. Yeah, it's not as first class as something like Angular, where they have like this special syntax inside their templates for subscribing to observables for you. Um, but you can also get clever. There's a lot of libraries. There's several different ones um, for being more clever about consuming observables uh, components that you can pass an observable to, and it will subscribe to it and unsubscribe to it at the correct times. Um, those type of things. There, there's utilities around that. That's really interesting. So I remember when you said that conceptualizing or conceptualizing in terms of observables can be difficult and the learning curve can be high. Like, what's the best way for someone to get started learning RxJS? Well, I mean, <laughs> there's there's a lot of good articles on things like Medium and stuff like that. I mean, the, I would say start off by just going to the RxJS docs, and there's actually a brand new initiative to creating um, better docs because the, the docs have had some trouble in the past not with being outdated just being hard to find that like hard to search because we used um, es docs to automatically generate them and it kind of had included a lot of extraneous results and so you really had to know where to find where to look to find them but the new docs uh, significantly improved that and um, tracy can talk more about that because she's been helping lead and organize those efforts um, but but also i mean i know this is kind of a shameless plug but you know you could also attend one of the workshops that ben and i put on ben tracy and i we, do, we run our workshop and um, we do it online as well as in person and we also do private ones for companies as well and those are those are a great way to to really just turbocharge and in a single day go from nothing to having a, a pretty solid understanding. It can be a little overwhelming, but I think it can give you also a really good start um, to, to supercharge you and, and, and give you that resource. And then you can also follow up and ask those individual questions and stuff like that and get a lot more hands-on time. Um, other than that, there's there's Gitter channels and Slack channels as well where you, where you can you know, ask questions and there's several people who are Pretty pretty active on Stack Overflow on asking questions or answering questions. I mean, and um, so that's that's my take. Um, Tracy, yeah, I was just gonna say you could do what I did with it and just uh, like go into like a JS bin or a Stack Blitz and import it and play around with it. Oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's I hugely I that's what I did for a while is is just 
played around with different scenarios and actually try and almost reverse engineer. You're trying to figure out why did it, why did that behavior happen? Like, I'm not looking at the code. I'm just trying to, you know, I play with an operator and then find out, okay, that behavior makes sense. So this behavior doesn't make sense. And so I want to learn more about it. Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute, flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price to performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash roundup. Tracy, do you have any, anything to add on the, on the doc side of things? Yeah, the docs initiative has been uh, fun. I initially got involved because I kept hearing people complain about it. And uh, Ben and Jay would just throw their hands up and be like, yeah, somebody, can somebody help? And I kept trying to find people in the community who would want to do it. So you know how in open source, everybody says like, yeah, I'm going to do it, right? And so we had so many people say that, and then it would never happen. And so finally, I said, okay, obviously, if this is ever going to happen, you know, I'm going to have to take the lead on it. So I decided to do it. Um, and what's evolved from that is really amazing contributors who are actually now starting to contribute to RxJS core itself. Um, and so, you know, I just had to jumpstart it a little bit. And then everybody sort of like poked around and, 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 and filled in the blanks. Um, but right now we just recently launched the RxJS API docs. So if you go look for the official RxJS documentation, that's the new docs initiative. Uh, currently hosted on Firebase for a quick second, uh, where you have much prettier and much better API docs. Uh, what What's currently happening right now is this migration from the content side. So we were doing all these uh, JSPins of real-world examples, um, better code examples of how to use specific operators, and putting that in... Well, right now it's in a different repo. So, so right now the docs team is just like merging it all into one repo. I think one of the difficulties that people have with RxJS when they used to look at the docs is the fact that it literally is just API documentation, right? And so it's not very beginner friendly. Um, and as a beginner, you sort of want a little bit more details. Uh, I'm glad that I'm a beginner sometimes when it comes to some of these things because Ben's like, who reads these things? Why do we need seven paragraphs? And it's like, um, excuse me, you need to walk me through this. <laughs> That's I'm, awesome. too, so I'm too lazy to read seven paragraphs. I am. <laughs> um, is there like an 80-20 rule of Rx as far as like the API is con concerned? I know when it first came out, there was like a lot of stuff you could do, but there was also a lot of methods that were available. Um, but with, um, so for instance, with JavaScript, all the array methods, you can get a lot done with like map, reduce, and filter. Is there like a, a sample of, uh, of APIs that people could learn to kind of like kickstart their productivity with RxJS? Yeah, or? yeah, definitely. I would say you've got map and filter, obviously. Uh, instead of reduce, there's scan would be the one I would go for there, um, which is basically reduce, only it, it emits the value you're reducing to every single time. Um, there's other simple ones like take or take last where you're just saying, oh, take three or take and skip. Like th those are kind of familiar idioms from a variety of other collection types that you'd find in other languages, um, like enumerables in C sharp and stuff like that. So 
take and skip, which are, do exactly what it sounds like. They skip a few values and then start, you know, get, giving them to you, or they take a few values and then stop. Um, those are important. And then there's these uh, special operators that uh, are flat, flattening operators, really, or merge operators. And there's uh, one's called like merge map, and then there's concat map, and then there's, um, the, I'm sorry, the last one is switch map. So basically with those, you're looking at situations where you have an observable of observables. And this is where it gets kind of mind bending for a lot of folks. And, and what, you're, what you're actually trying to do is you take with say switch map, for example, you're saying, oh, I'm going to, I'll start with merge map. You're, you're saying with merge map, you're saying, I'm going to subscribe to one observable and I'm going to take the value of it and I'm going to map it into a new observable. And then I'm going to subscribe to that and take all its values and send it into the, the observable that I'm returning. And then the next value comes in and you map that into another observable. Now you've got two running and you're taking all those values and sending them out. So have we lost you yet? Uh, yeah. So this is why, you know, this is why I recommend playing with it, uh, reading the documentation. Mostly, play, in my opinion, uh, playing with it is, is, is very important um, and getting an idea. But those, those merge map, concat map, and switch map are the ones that I think uh, the majority of people are going to have a hard time wrapping their head around. But once you get those, then everything is cake. There's, there's all sorts of other really, really helpful ones, but I think those are kind of the biggest ones. Um, there's ones for like catch error for catching errors that it's probably important. Um, but there's helpful little ones like timeout with like that people hardly ever use, but it'll come up one day and be like, Oh, I really need some sort of thing that when it times out, it plays this other observable. Okay. Well, there's an operator for that. But, um, yeah, the API is really, the surface area is really, really big and a lot of people get intimidated by it. So I just tell people, um, start simple, start with like filter and map and then just subscribe to it and do whatever you have to do with it. Um, and then try to learn like merge map, concat map, switch map, those. And uh, usually at that point, as, as people walk away from learning those things, they're, they're pretty good to go. And I would, I would second what Ben said about um, just subscribe. That's what I, when I am teaching people about RxJS, I just, I tell them early that when in doubt, just call subscribe and do it how you would normally do it. Do it how you would have done it before procedurally or imperatively or even functionally with your, with your Lodash or what have you. Um, you can always just call subscribe and just get the value and then do do whatever you want with it. So if you don't learn the reactive way, it's totally fine. Right. And uh, I did want to yeah, add... That sounds what, awesome, actually. That, makes, that made my... Something yeah, look, cool. Cool, that's awesome. And then there's, there's one thing I wanted to add about um, learning ArcGIS. Um, ben has a really great Medium article, learning observables by, um, by building them or learning observable by building observables, what it's called. And um, for me, I think... I never thought of it that way until Ben's Ben actually made that post. And I think it actually, even though I had already become, you know, I was actually very well versed in RxJS, um, it actually made it additionally click with me. I think it really simplified it even, even in my brain when I read that. And I think it also helps when I explain it to other people that way as well. So I, I think that's a really great resource. So I'd, I'd like to go back to the, the documentation effort really quick too. Um, what what Tracy's done there has been nothing short of phenomenal because uh, it is the it's been the one sore point in RxJS land is is the documentation and we've got these uh, really awesome people working on it now um, and it's kind of breathed a lot of new life into the community that way. Um, it's the I mean the, the I would say the number one goal for RxJS in the short and the long term is to make sure that documentation is accessible and. Uh, documentation is um, available and, and easy for people to read and understand. Uh, and 
like it's it's a it's a very big deal. I I can't tell you how happy I am to see all that stuff being taken care of and and uh, done done very well. So I just yeah. want to thank thank you again, Tracy, for getting that started because it would it would still be in a horrible state if it, <laughs> if it, were, yeah. if it were left to me. Yeah, well, you know, I only can do so much, right? So <laughs> right. well, in the, the the demand the demand's getting higher and higher too. The just recently over the last few months there's been this strange upswing in rxjs usage um where now on the, like the day-to-day downloads on npm uh we're we're nearing what react has so last like in one week it was like two million downloads in npm or something like that i, I don't know what's driving it at all um you it, created a bot it's yeah jay Not created a bot i did yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah, there's there's been uh, there's also been a noticeable uptick in people asking questions or people wanting to contribute uh, new operators and various things. So um, I, I think that that documentation is going to be more and more and more important as time goes on. Probably more important than actual like the core library uh, contributions are. So that's that's a really big deal. And yeah. I mean the other thing with uh, the docs is we're you know we're planning on adding like examples of using this with React. So we're going to be creating like React getting started guides, React native getting started guides, and every single real world, every single operator will have an associated uh, real world example. So anybody who's like playing around with it, especially if you're just, you know, getting started or whatever, not only if you have extra time and want to play with open source, but even just documentation on helping with figuring out those things for operators and creating these little examples for us is really, I think it'll benefit you all and everyone in the long run. Yeah. Anyone listening to this, if you want to be on your favorite open source personalities radar and be their absolute favorite person, contribute to the docs. <laughs> because believe me, when I when I say that, like on the on the technical side, there's so much planning and stuff that goes into that that a lot of that is handled or or at the very least planned out. Uh, and on the documentation side, it's all like, I don't know. We'll get to that eventually kind of things. <laughs> and it, then it piles up and it's this horrible cliff that you see coming. So if you want to really make your open source people love you, contribute to their documentation. They'll, they'll really love you for it. And that's any open source project, I'm sure, is, is happy to, to have you contribute to that. That's a really great point. Um, I feel like contributing to documentation is underrated, but like so valuable. And also um, learning something enough well enough to write about it means that you're learning it really well. So it's also a great way to learn, just like teaching. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd take one doc writer over two engineers any day. <laughs> the, doc, the writing documentation is hard and it's important. So, so what's, uh, oh, someone, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Um, so I guess one last thing on the docs. So if someone does want to contribute to the docs, can they just uh, pull the GitHub repo down? and edit there and then submit a pull request? Is that how that works? Yeah, yeah. Now it's it's right in the, there's there's some confusion because there's an older RxJS dash docs repo, repo, but we've now merged all the documentation app and, the, and all of the the work that's been done there into RxJS master. So any issue, like the actual documentation is all done inline with the code in, in JS doc comments. Um, and there's some markdown files that also get merged in, but yeah, it's all, there's a docs dash app folder underneath the, the, uh, master repository where all of that work is done. So, so what's next for RxJS? Ooh, um, well, there's, uh, I'm working on an experimental branch, uh, right now where if, if you, if you go to the, 
if you go to the repository um, and you switch the branch to experimental, the readme will be different. And there's a design doc in there that describes the work being done. But uh, basically, it's loosely based on Andre Stoltz. Um, he has a he has a library called Callbags, and Callbags essentially has the same concept as observables, but it only uses functions. Uh, the the downside to Callbags is it's not particularly ergonomic, and it also isn't in the shape of observable, which there's so many people using right now uh, that, you know, I couldn't just be like, oh, I'm changing the shape of all of RxJS. Have a nice day. Like, that would work out well for a lot of people. So um, there's the, the work being done in the experimental library is, is kind of implementing all um, observables in terms of these functions. Uh, and the library then is then is, is becoming a lot smaller um, and a lot faster. So there's there right so right now it's it's all an experimental and um just kind of going through and implementing things seeing how they work out uh and then the plan is that inevitably we'll harden all of that and we'll look at it and say okay here's here's the few things that we needed to change with the public api in order to get this to work and then you go into the stable version of rxjs and you say these things are deprecated or we need to add these things and then we let that live for a while until we have a chance to, you know, create some migration tools to help people migrate to the new library and some documentation and things like that. So, um, right, just recently though, I don't know how many people are familiar with this uh, in the Angular community. It's uh, it's old news, but uh, you know, in the React community, it might be newer. Uh, we did release RxJS six, and um, in the process of doing so, we had a lot of people contribute a lot of amazing work around having backwards compatibility with version 5, having uh, TypeScript-based like TSLint rules that would automatically update your code for you to the new version. So uh, the, the friction with migrating your code from or, or up, updating your code from ArxJS 5 to ArxJS 6 was very, very minimal in comparison to you know, what people might have done with libraries like this in, in the past. So uh, I haven't heard of anyone doing stuff like this before. It, so it was a bit of an experiment, but it was a very successful experiment uh, just within Google, uh, we updated thousands and thousands of files that uh, used RxJS with these TSLint rules, for example, in a matter of minutes, and uh, you know, like everything just worked, which is which is amazing, right? Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of work that that people did here at Google. There's a lot of people that uh, that co contributed external to RxJS or that were new contributors to RxJS that added all the backwards compatibility stuff. And we got a lot of support from the Angular team around that. Uh, so that's been pretty amazing. And we're going to try to do that again uh, whenever we have another major version release, which, um, you know, it's that the timeline on that is a little bit uh, more iffy. It's not like um, ArxJS still isn't uh, like React or Angular, where there's a dedicated group of people working on it for a company. So it's harder to set, um, oh, I'm going to release every six months kind of timeline. Um, I'm working on it more full time now than I was before, but still not totally full time. Um, but you know, that's just one person, and there's a whole community of people that work on this stuff. So our, our release dates are a little bit more um, squishy <laughs> than say React or something. But uh, would you uh, say they're smushy? They are smushy. No smush. That's bad. <laughs> are we using the smush map operator for that? Yeah, there's some bad history about smush there. Um, with the 6.0 release, actually. Uh, but <laughs> you guys just distracted me. I got you. Uh, I got yeah, you. We'll, we'll, probably, we'll probably be, you know, between six months to a year out as far as another uh, major version release goes. 
And the 1.0 release of Redux Observable is actually coming up here shortly. We're on uh, one. We're on 1.0 beta one right now. Um, I just released beta one just a couple of days ago, in fact. Um, and we've had a, we've had several alphas before that. And uh, we've been I've been slow to adopt 1.0 simply because I was waiting for Redux Observable to gain a little bit more traction and get a little bit more feedback from the community before we committed to the API. And and uh, there has been some changes that have been made. I think for the better. Um, instead of having access to the store directly, if you're already familiar with Redux Observable, this might be useful to know, but instead of having access to the store directly, you get um, a stream of state that you can um, subscribe to. So you can either compose that or you can also get the, the current value of the state just off of a value property on it. And that removes um, the get store.getState function, but it also removes store.dispatch inside your epics. It doesn't remove store dispatch inside your UI. You still do that dispatching normally, but inside your epics, it was an anti-pattern before to call store.dispatch inside of them because um, it's very not RX, the RxJS way. It's very imperative. And we still provided it simply as an escape hatch just because, you know, at the time when we originally created it, we weren't, you know, we didn't have a ton of confidence that this was a good pattern. We had no idea really. And what I, reason why we're removing it is because we have just discovered that instead of it being, you know, a nice escape hatch, it's instead just a major foot gun that there's actually been whole tutorials on YouTube about how to use Redux Observable. And the whole tutorial just showed you using store.dispatch inside of the Epic instead of uh -huh. composing them. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I, I asked the author to take it down and he was, he was very kind and he did just cause it's, you know, teaching someone the wrong way. But I think it was, a lot of it was our fault is because, you know, people are very familiar with store.dispatch yeah. and they, no way you asked him to take it down. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was very, he was very, he was very kind about it. <laughs> oh, I was like, about it, but I just, yeah, that'd be a hard conversation. Like I'd be so, no, I just, I just, I just said, Hey, you know, like this, cause I, I discovered that because someone on stack overflow, you know, had, was making asking a question on how to do something and and um i gave them the answer and they said you know what do you think about this instead this looks easier and i'm like oh no don't do that oh, that's that's rough <laughs> it, it was rough it, I mean, it mainly just made my heart sink a little just because i felt like it was our fault that we shouldn't have given them that you know that gun that foot gun to shoot themselves in the foot with which i think we're correcting that in in 1.0 so I think that's the hardest part about open source in general and learning things. And I'm really spoiled because I get to talk to Ben and Jay, or I feel like I should just start from the top because any advice I give now, or I get now, I always wonder, or blog posts, it's like, is it right? How old is it? It's a month old. Are they hmm. doing it right? Do I trust them as a developer? Well, so, yeah. <laughs> It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Of right. You know, there's a lot Level of, it. of right. Yeah, there's a, and I think you were talking about this the other day, Tracy, about how like, Ben and I have this bad habit of never answering a question directly. Or, you know, like, you know, should I do x? Maybe. Depends. Yeah, you know, it depends. Maybe it depends on this, uh, you know, because it is tough. Like, after a while, you start to become, I don't know, I kind of go through phases of like, you know, clar clarifying everything. And then other times not, you know, not, not clarifying anything and just being like, yeah, sure. Sounds Jay, I just discovered your new uh, nickname. You want to hear it? Uh -oh. It's pretty oh. bad. Oh, no. Janel. Oh, Jay no. Jay what? Anal Jay. Janel. Oh, Janel? Uh, <laughs> uh, Good reviews. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love you. Uh, not and, suitable uh, for work. Yeah. <laughs> what? Janel. <laughs> Janel. 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 If you want, ever want Jay to uh, uh, review your PRs, 
Yes. I, this is why I love you so much, though. He's so particular and always cares about quality. Like, uh, what, did we, what did you call him? The human linter? You used to call him the yes. human linter. Anybody, anybody else would have released Redux Observable like a year ago. Anybody else. <laughs> Not Jay. Jay's, Jay's like, no, this needs to be perfect. So. <laughs> yeah, it's a curse. It's a, perfect's for 2.0, Jay. That's true. <laughs> that is, no, you're, I, I actually subscribe to that. And if, if I was giving advice to someone else, that's exactly what I would say. 1.0 early, perfect with 2.0. So um, I, we're kind of getting close to uh, being there on time, but I did want to discuss one more topic maybe real quick before we wrap it up. Um, something that like rings in my head um, around the API for subscribe is working now with GraphQL. And I think like the idea of subscriptions kind of would work along the same lines as something like RxJS. Um, I have, I guess, two questions around this. One, does uh, Apollo or any of, the, any of these GraphQL clients, are they using RxJS under the hood to do subscriptions? And are the subscriptions that people are working with in some of these GraphQL clients on the front end, um, are they similar to kind of what the API or the, the type of workflow you might see in RxJS if they haven't really used it before? It's, it's my, I've actually never had the privilege of using GraphQL full time, but I have played with it a bunch and then helped others as well. Um, and, and the last I knew of it, um, there was actually a decent usage of RxJS in the GraphQL Apollo um, uh, space in there, but it was not built into it. I know they, I, I recall, I don't want to say I know, I recall there being discussions about doubling down on observables and it becoming their first class primitive. But last I knew, uh, you had to use an add-on. There was a, a, an extra community add-on to, to use observables instead. Ben, have you heard anything lately? Uh, yeah, so I know that um, some of the Apollo people have approached me at, at a couple of Angular events in the past, and there is, there's a, a special Apollo client that provides additional support for RxJS. Um, yeah, that's where and, Yeah, and I, I think that's where most of the Apollo people would direct you to. Uh, but I mean, Rx is, it's such a malleable thing that, I mean, really what most libraries are, like say you're talking about view or Rx view or view Rx or whatever it's called, or, um, uh, what is it? Um, John Linquist just had, has a React library called uh, React Streams. It's actually pretty cool. It, it, what they boil down to, and even Redux Observable for, for the most part, what it boils down to is, I'm going to take some existing API and then adapt it into observables so you can do observably things with it and then call that API. Like, so, and, and it's usually, they're all pretty lightweight. Like the uh, Redux observables are a pretty small library. Um, at least the core pieces of it are anyways. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of these things tend to be that way. So if you're ever like, oh, I wonder if there's an Rx, you know, thing for this whatever that probably is you know that's been my discovery there's usually someone who's already written a wrapper for it uh, but yeah apollo definitely has i think it's like apollo client dash rxjs or something like that that exists so all right so i guess we'll go ahead and get to the picks do you run your own freelance business or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side well then you need fresh books fresh books is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients it's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. 
You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. I guess we'll go, Ben, do you have any picks today? Uh, I mean, for React, I really do like what John Linquist has done with the React Streams library he put together recently. Um, it's it's pretty neat. It, it basically just adds a component that you can provide a stream to and a bunch of other really interesting helpers. Uh, and then it uses the, um, I don't know if, if the pattern is actually called render props now, but basically you have a, a your children, uh, or you, you just pass a function in there and inside of that function, it gives you the values that that are being emitted by that uh, observable. So it's there's a there's a variety of other interesting things it does, but that's like the core bit of the functionality. And it's pretty cool if you want to use uh, RxJS directly with uh, React in kind of a straightforward way, just to kind of play with RxJS. Um, so that's one of my picks. The, the other pick I would have would be uh, StackBlitz. If you're not familiar with StackBlitz, you should get familiar with StackBlitz. StackBlitz. It's basically Visual Studio Code in the browser, and it has React um, templates, Angular templates built in, or just you can play with TypeScript or whatever. So it's it's really, really cool. So that's that's my other pick. Sia, do you have any picks? Yes. I um, So this week or two, past week or two, I've been, um, I have this client and they know that their website's not working, but that doesn't really help me come up with a way to redesign and redevelop it with just what's not working. So We've been looking a lot at the Sprint book, um, you know, the one written by Jake Knapp and um, it was developed at Google and then they improved on it some more at Google Ventures. And it's just a really cool way to like think about how, how to do a rapid prototype. So that's my pick for the week. Jay, do you have any picks? Um, yeah, so I've got uh, a lot of people have probably heard of it by now, but they, uh, Ryan Dahl, the guy who made uh, originally created Node, Node.js, um, he announced and open sourced um, the beginnings of a new project. Um, I think it's called Dino. I've never heard anyone pronounce it, but D-E-N-O. And it's kind of, my understanding is that it's kind of like a, what if I could go back in time and, and change about Node? Because he has some regrets and I, I haven't watched his talk from, uh, I think it was in React Europe or JSConf Europe or one of those. Um, where he actually talked about these regrets of of Node and um, the Dino project is interesting because like it's TypeScript first, like instead of JavaScript you're using TypeScript and there's no package JSON, like you import directly from URLs and and um, it's uh, sandboxed first. That's another thing that's major different is is like you have to opt into privileges and stuff like that, and so it's much heavier sandbox. I believe he's wrote most of it in Go. Um, so it's kind of an interesting. It's it's far from production at this point, but it's kind of an interesting thing to keep in, to uh, keep your eye on and see what clever things uh, Ryan comes out of it. Um, my my other pick would be the the other day I had uh, there's a company called Appli Tools A P P L I Tools. Um, they they gave me a demo of their product. It's for like screenshotting 
like it's a kind of like testing via screenshots of your apps. And I, I remember, like I was telling them, I was very skeptical because I remember using something like that, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And the technology just wasn't there. Like it was every little minor change in pixels or graphics card changes. There's so many things that, that, that the human eye can't perceive, but would cause the tests to fail or be, you know, changes and stuff like that. So I, I kind of wrote it off, but the Applet Tools company seems to be really, um, have kind of perfected it. And I know they, they use things like machine learning and stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting to check out. Um, it, it's, it, uh, there's a free plan. And I think that they also are, um, offer an open source plan. So open source maintainers can do it for free and stuff like that. So if you have like an open source project or something like that, you can check it out. Tracy, do you have any picks today? I've been thinking after through all these picks. I'm not <laughs> I mean, like, what's like, okay, I got one. Yes, so fashionnova.com. It's hilarious that I'm promoting fashionnova.com. But I was watching <laughs> Kylie Jenner's Instagram the other day, and Kylie Jenner was wearing this dress. And so I went to this website, and uh, granted, 50% of their clothing is highly inappropriate um, for yes. I think anybody to wear in public or anywhere else. But I did buy some things. And that were appropriate to wear outside. <laughs> and, you know, shockingly, everything fit me and I'm keeping everything. I think I bought like 10 pieces of clothing and I'm keeping everything. So, ladies, if you're looking for cute clothes, uh, check out Fashion Nova or Francesca's, which is my other favorite place, which has fully appropriate conference clothing and has basically been my entire wardrobe for conferences for the past a few months. Tracy gets a lot of compliments on her Francesca's uh, dresses that she wears to conferences. I've, yeah. I've witnessed it. Mm -hmm. And I have to, I have to thank uh, Chloe Condon, who works at Century, who uh, who told me about it at a conference. So I'm super glad there's more women going to conferences because we get to learn from each other on our fashion choice. The, the the conference ladies fashion mafia. It happens. It's a real thing. <laughs> so um, for me, my pick is JS Camp. It's a new conference. Um, it's at chicagojs.org if you want to take a look at it. Um, they're having an emphasis on first-time speakers. So if you're looking to kind of speak at, the, at your first conference, um, give this one a shot because they're going to be um, looking to accept a lot of uh, first-time speakers. Also looks to be a good conference. Um, I know one of the co-organizers is Peter Pikarczyk. If you've ever listened to React Native Radio, he's one of the co-hosts there. Um, and he just went through Y Combinator on um, a startup pitch. Now he's back in Chicago and he's organizing this. So it looks like a cool conference. So check it out if you're near Chicago or, or even if you're not near Chicago. Well, I guess that wraps it up today. So thanks everyone for coming on the show and for taking the time out of your day to join us. It was really nice chatting about all this stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, great. Fun time. All right, well, that wraps up this episode of React Roundup. We'll see you next week. Peace. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>